Okay, we're going to begin this next story. It's called Changes to the Town Hall. It's taken from It's a Rum Life, Book 3, Ivy House Tales, 1970-1984. to This story from about 1972. After what seemed only a short time living at Ivy House, New Bolingbroke, and while still working for Firestone, I was asked to join the committee running the local town hall. My wife Ruth had by now changed her job and was working as a theatre sister in the Eye Operating Theatre at Boston's new Pilgrim General Hospital. Daughter Helen attended play school with Mrs Taylor on Tadshaw Road in Boston and she remained there each day until Ruth left work and could collect her on the way home. Background As readers may remember from previous stories, New Bolingbroke Town Hall was a focal point of the new town built by John Parkinson in the early 1800s. It had already served as a school, meeting room, library and covered market. Consequently, it had beautiful archways built into its lower structure with a large room above. By this time in 1972, though, the archways had been bricked in for some years and the whole inside of the building was dark and dreary. Constant artificial lighting was needed for any functions and there was no efficient heating. Perhaps it is one of those times when the person outside can see more of the game, but after the very first committee meeting I attended, it is obvious that urgent changes were needed. It had been one of our Firestone clients, Ivor Bush, unfortunately now no longer with us, who suggested I join the committee. His family home and very first Bush Tyres retail depot was in the centre of the village. Ivor was a true character of the old style. His father had begun the tyre business in New Bolingbroke and Ivor, still a relatively young man, was in the process of establishing the business that was to become a major power in the county. He lived in a smart bungalow just off the main road and although his basic alliance in the tyre world was to the Goodyear Tyre Company, we became firm friends. The Town Hall Committee comprised most of the worthies of the village. John Rundle, our neighbour, living at Globe House next door to us, was now running the family engineering business and iron foundry. It was his father, Jack, who was chairman of the committee. Local plumber and neighbour across the road from Ivy House was Les Langstaff. It was his father who was the secretary. Then there was Ivor Bush and retired local postman Harry Hubbard, who lived in the north row of cottages. Ivor and I were the younger, youngest members by many years. Why not make changes? Why not make big changes? The older members of the committee realised that changes had to be made somehow to make the building more attractive and encourage its better use. We'd very little in the way of funds and total refurbishment was out of the question. The choice of using the previous upstairs room was decided to be a non-starter so all our thoughts concentrated on the main structure. There were some ancient toilets and the little side room we used for our meeting as it was difficult to keep warm. I asked if anybody had ever thought of unbricking the archways around the building and putting windows in. This would bring immediate light and life into the hall. The idea staggered the older members. Nobody had ever seen the building without the arches being bricked up. 
It took me several meetings and maximum support from Ivor Bush to persuade the rest to even think of the possibility. They agreed to look at the idea and give me, gave me permission to ask for advice. First of all, I persuaded an old school colleague, Gordon, who was a well-established surveyor in Boston, to become involved. He gave the hall a thorough going over and provided the committee with an official report that said there was no reason why the brickwork in the archways could not be removed. We were over the first hurdle. I think it must have been Gordon who drew up the plans for the new hall. They looked wonderful, with full-length Georgian small paned windows in every archway. The committee was duly impressed to see actual plans of the hall with windows convinced them that all their combined ideas were a total change for the good. The project included moving and improving the toilets and turning our little side room into a proper kitchen which complied with the latest regulations and could be used for all kinds of functions. With my persuasion we chose a revolutionary drip feed diesel oil heating system for the main hall. When installed it looked like a huge oil drum behind a safety cage with tall chimney disappearing through the ceiling above. It was very simple to run, very cheap and provided the hall with ample heat at low cost. A new ceiling would provide extra insulation and prevent excessive heat loss and estimates were obtained from local joinery firms for the unusual windows. Funding the cost went into thousands and nobody had any idea where we would find the money. I think by this time I'd taken over as secretary to the committee and began trying to source funding. The hall was and still is a scheduled ancient building and permission had to be obtained for the alterations. Fortunately our ideas for the improvements were accepted as good for the building and for the community as a whole. Our local Lincolnshire County Council were splashing some money around at this time and it just so happened that our hall project was a, was, to, <laughs> was a benefit to the community and was just the kind of idea they were looking for. Over half the total cost was sourced from their funds. Next I tackled the District Council for a like sum and obtained half of the remaining cost, not to be sniffed at. This left us with a small balance to find ourselves, which we decided would not be impossible. The next hurdle was that all this money we'd obtained had to be spent within that current financial year. So we leapt ahead and found a sympathetic local builder with a quote within our budget. The result was that within a year of thinking about the project, it was up and finished. Oh. One thing we did forget, and that was to apply to the District Council for planning permission. But then we thought, on reflection, that as, as they had paid for at least a third of the alterations, they were not likely to come and knock it down. We had the support of the Historic Buildings Commission, and that was good enough for us. Now as I write this tale, in 2011, almost 40 years later, the hall is still fulfilling the original ideas from the 1970s, although it is in need of another facelift. It's to, it is used today by various voluntary groups each and every week and is a real asset to the community. The public land alongside the town hall and used as a local amenity also is still owned by the Duchy of Lancaster from the time when John O'Gaunt, the father of King Henry IV, 
presided over the lands surrounding his home at Old Bolingbroke. Uh, there are some notes to follow. Um, further up to the data information about the hall and its use can be obtained from Alan Rundle at Rundle's Engineering Works, New Bolingbroke. Alan is the grandson of J.H. Rundle Senior, Jack, who I had the privilege to work with on that original management committee, introducing all these changes. New Bolingbroke is a unique town, probably the first ever new town built in the UK in the early 1800s. David Robinson, the famous historian from uh, Louth in Lincolnshire, um, gave an enthralling lecture all about the town and its creator, whose house we were fortunate to live in for our 14 years at New Bolingbroke. There we are. That's the end of that little story. Hope you enjoyed listening. Um, lots more stories to listen to on this Buzzsprout site. There are free books to download from Cracker Books. Have a look on Cracker Books on Facebook. And there are over 50 videos to watch on Keith Sanders, uh, the short story man, on YouTube. Thank you for listening. <laughs>